Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the human condition in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. A couple of years ago, 2017, I started watching a trilogy called The Human Condition. Uh, if I found it, I'm pretty sure I, I stumbled upon it through Letterboxd. It was directed by Masaki Kobayashi, Japanese trilogy, and uh, the films were released uh, from 1959 to 1961. Uh, depending on where you look, uh, part two was either released in 59 in addition to part one, or it was released in 1960, uh, depending on um, what source you hold most true, I guess. At least uh, that's what it appears like. I, I The first movie, uh, Human Condition 1, no greater love. I watched for the I watched the only time I've seen it so far, April 13th, 2017. It is almost three and a half hours long. And I really, really liked it. It is not an exciting, you know, it's not a very high tempo movie. It is not um It's not something that you can kind of just leave on in the background. It's not, you know, it's a very intense and personal character study. It's very slow. Uh, it's in Japanese. It's very long. All three parts are about three hours, if not longer. And uh, it's, you know, it's all in black and white. It, it, the 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 trilogy itself does not lend itself well to to commercial viewings i guess is how i would describe it um it's just it's a very powerful war trilogy and i say war trilogy but it would be probably far more accurate to say anti-war trilogy uh, the human condition is much more focused on showing the perils, the devastation, the tragedy of war than it is anything else. Um, and it does that through its main character, uh, Kaji, who is, is just put through the ringer time and time and time and time and time and time again. So I watched when I watched the first part, part one, first film, back April 2017. Uh, this was back when my hand was broke, uh, my finger was broken after I'd had surgery uh, from working at Target so long ago, and I knew at the time. You know, I I've done many watches in my my time of look going through an entire franchise. Uh, you know, sometimes two, three films in the same franchise in a day just to try to, you know, get caught up, understand where this thing is at. I did it with, like, the Chucky movies. Um, 
I've done it with a handful of, of franchises. This is not this is not that. I knew watching the first one that I couldn't just kind of binge the three of them back to back to back. At least not the first time I watched them. It's too intense. It requires so much focus. It requires so much uh, absorption of the message, of the dialogue, of the characters, of the performances, of the actions. And I just, I, I needed the time to breathe between each film, which is an interesting assessment of something that does move as, you know, glacially slow as this trilogy does. Um, I was excited to watch the next film, but again, like I said, I was definitely of the mind that I needed to space them out a little bit. So two months later, June of 2017, uh, I watched part two, The Human Condition 2, colon, Road to Eternity. This is the shortest of the three installments, uh, like just a couple of minutes underneath three hours, shortest. And I thought it was even better. This one was part of a scavenger hunt, uh, so I'm sure I did episodes on it when I talked about... <laughs> I did scavenger hunt episodes. Uh, it takes things to a greater extreme than No Greater Love does. It pushes its characters further and farther than they were before. And I... I it is it is just so powerful and and so painful to watch and after watching part 2 i was very much prepared for part 3 i fully expected it to just rip my heart out uh, i thought it was going to be you know just just this epic conclusion this monumental achievement in in film that i i you know I, I would have trouble comparing to anything else that i've ever seen and part parts of that expectation came to light and and others didn't and um so so i'm going to kind of try to talk about it's been i just watched part 3 it is now two and a half years since i've seen part 2 quite a long time uh, but I've now finished the trilogy and while I'm probably going to start out by just talking about part three for a minute uh, I do want to sort of contextualize the entire trilogy and how I feel um, it is how effective it is and how, how good I like how much I love it and uh, how just oh my goodness how much respect I have for Masaki Kobayashi who made these three films for uh um, um, Tatsuya Nakadai, who who plays uh, Kaji through all three films, and I watched it for, finally because Nakadai is one of the potential top ten actors in Born in December, and so I wanted to watch a couple of his films before I did that episode. Um, so the Human Condition, Part Three. Uh, is subtitled A Soldier's Prayer. So it probably would help if I kind of gave an overview of the film. Uh, spoiler free uh, for all three films, but just a vague sort of narrative arc of, of what's happening in this movie. What is, what is the driving force of, of these films? 
And like I said, we follow Kaji. Uh, the opening of the first film, we, we start off with his marriage to Michiko. And uh, from the beginning, Kaji is, uh, works as, a, has a labor job. And, you know, he's a pacifist. Uh, self-described pacifist, self-described socialist in China. Uh, or, or rather, um, his his workforce is Chinese, and uh, he's in a colonized part of Manchuria, um, as it was owned by the Japan, uh, by the Japanese at the time. Eventually, his his time at this labor camp uh, it ends, and uh, he is transitioned at the end of the first film into um, drafted into into the military. We spend the entire second film with him in the military. Uh, again, pacifist, socialist, not exactly the person you want on your side of a fight in the military. Uh, he does not have the same you know as obedient as he can be he is not does not embody you know the ideals ideals and and mind of a soldier in in the way that his superiors want him to so uh through a series of of unfortunate circumstances and uh many many challenging obstacles uh by the end of the second film Kaji is no longer tied to the military. No longer tied to the military. So, when we open the final film, when we open A Soldier's Prayer, uh, he is aimlessly wandering around. And through it all, th the driving force of this final, final film is his drive to return to Michiko. He wants to get back to his wife, he wants to get back to his family, uh, and and just you know just just to be the person he wants to be to to live a life as he wants to live it not as he's not as not with people telling him what to do not with people forcing him to do various things with you know with him you know being abused physically emotionally verbally forced to to do harm, forced to to receive pain, you know, branded uh, a variety of notorious and terrifying, terrible, you know, names throughout his his life. And and this movie, these this this trilogy, takes place over a very brief period of time. It's not. You know, they were all filmed, you know, kind of back to back to back. It They were released year, year, year. And it doesn't span, this isn't something like The Irishman where it spans, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. It doesn't, it's not Boyhood where it, you know, spans 13 even. It spans just like two years, three years. Uh, I'm not even sure actual dates are given. But it is a relatively condensed amount of time. And looking at the events and experiences and what takes place during these films with that in the back of your head, it, it just, it only serves to 
emphasize and amplify the level of despair a person feels when you're when you're just forced to abide by the laws and rules of other people people that you don't have faith in people that you don't um believe in uh ideas that in your mind hold no water and i i guess the best way to relate that to to american society as it is right now would be to say you know if there were a war another a civil war to occur right now and for each side one side to be you know relatively republican and conservative the other side to be relatively democratic and liberal if you were whatever side you're on um you know if you were somehow uh, force, you know, if you, you ended up on the wrong side, if you were a liberal that ended up on the conservative side or conservative that ended up on the liberal side and you had no other option, you know, if, if you were forced and, and, and scripted to fight for that other side under pain of death, under death, you know, death of your family, whatever circumstances would be required to force you to fight for that side, that is what it feels like. That is, that is what Kaji's situation is. He is a socialist living in a world that scorns his, his ideas, his ideals. Living in a world where fascism is, is what wins things. Where the chain of command is deceitful, is corrupt and is constantly working against him all the more so because he is a socialist so imagine for a moment as a you know as someone from a from from the red or blue side of the line in america that you are you know enlisted underneath the a, a chain of command from the exact opposite side you know, you have these liberals, these conservatives looking down at you. They know what your beliefs are. They know they don't align with yours. They hate that you're even there in the first place, but you're there. You're a body. You can carry a gun and you can hopefully kill somebody in the process of this war. They fight you tooth and nail over your beliefs. When you refuse to succumb and change what you think, they beat you, they beat people around you, they, you know, you, you, you end up, it's just, it's, it's brutal, I guess is what I'm getting at. It is incredibly, incredibly brutal. So. It's a, it's a long journey. These three films, Kaji from the start, Married to Michoke, Michiku, Michiko, Michiko. And at the end of these three films, that is his goal. Throughout them, he wants to do his time, handle these, these circumstances, these extraneous, extraordinary circumstances, and return to her. That is, that is the goal. That is his objective throughout the whole thing. And... Along the way, he ends up completely sacrificing parts of himself. 
to get further. And the way that this is done, the way that Kobayashi achieves this is, is pretty harrowing and brilliant in the same breath. You know, time and time again, you know, we absolutely feel and can see the resolution on Nakadai's face, on Kaji's face. We can see and hear when he talks, the narrative, the voiceover. There's plenty of voiceover throughout the film, um, throughout the films, where we know he doesn't agree with something he's doing. But given the circumstances, he does it. And at some points in this film, in these films, he's he acquiesces without much fight sometimes he acquiesces after much fight and eventually he refuses to acquiesce no matter what the circumstances but at the same time uh it's it's that mentality and i you know i see this in a handful of characters in movies you know it's it's a very prideful um per, you know mentality of i am in the right I know I'm in the right. I know I didn't do whatever you're saying I did. I don't deserve to be where you're putting me. But because of who I am, but because of how I act, but because of what I'm what I what I believe, I am going to accept this circumstance anyway. And it's you know, it was kind of commercialized in Hancock when Will Smith's character who is effectively a superhero voluntarily lets himself be arrested despite the fact that one he can absolutely break out of prison whenever he wants to uh and two yes he has caused many much damage to that city but he knows that he's saving people's lives and that's kind of what's happening here kaji knows from his own point of view that in his own way he is he is not you know he is doing the moral thing he is making the correct moral judgment um there's a part of this movie in this of the third movie where he and others put on um uh what are they called uh, uh gunny sacks he he and other people put on gunny sacks because it is so cold uh and literally they will take anything to to stay warm and the very act of doing this causes, you know, he to be branded a saboteur within this, this, uh, you know, he, he's kind of singled out as the head of this resistance, this resistance party. And he's not a resist, he's not resisting anything except un fair conditions it is cold and people are you know getting sick and dying and putting on a, a gunny sack stops that and for the people around him and himself included not to be allowed to do that like he recognizes how immoral that decision is he recognizes that these orders coming down to him from superiors from others from you know foreign powers are are, are, are meant to break the human condition. That is the thing. Meant to destroy the foundations of, of human moral ideologies, of 
uh, just, just the mindset that is counter to what these powers believe. You know, we it's 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 very apparent in these films. It's been very apparent throughout all of time in every country at some point. It happened here. It happened in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, in South America, wherever. It happens all the time. People in power abusing that power to undermine and devalue the beliefs and ideologies of the people who aren't in power. It happens with things that are wrong. It even happens with things that are right. And neither situation makes it better. It doesn't make it a good thing to do. It just, it just, it's a thing that is. And Kobayashi's trilogy strikes hard at that oppressive state. I think, you know, looking looking at, you know, reflecting on this final entry in the trilogy, I had said earlier, I said earlier, I was expecting it to be this culminating grand, you know, bow on top of this trilogy. And, you know, watching it, you know, the, the heartbreak and the hard times that Kaji endures... Uh, particularly the ending, which, as uh, you know, I, I I comment all the time about end and about films that are predictable and and you know it's I generally it's a shorthand way of saying that the film doesn't do anything interesting, doesn't do anything exciting, doesn't take risks, doesn't you know, challenge the viewer in any way, shape, or form. But the act, you know, taking my words at, at their basic value, you know, having a film where you know what the ending is coming, where, where you know what ending is coming, there's many of those. Every film that's based on real events, you can probably predict the ending. And I don't think that that in and of itself is a negative attribute for a movie. It's not. I know at the end of the Lord of the Rings saga, they do it. They win the thing. They, 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 you know, you, you go into that trilogy, you know, it's going to resolve with a quote unquote happy ending. You don't know exactly how you don't know that every single character is going to make it to the end, but you know, you're kidding yourself. If you think that it's going to end any way other than, you know, peace on earth on middle earth, in a way, in a sense. Uh, similarly, there are many, many um, romantic comedies where you know that at the end, the two main characters end up together or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Some films deviate from this plot and uh, they're potentially better for it. But the act of having a, a film end the way you expect it to is not a bad thing. It's about the journey to get there. It's about the way that the film is is depicted. It's about the way that, it, you know, you can take risks and still end where we expect you to go. 
And I won't say that I knew where the human condition was going to end from the beginning. I wouldn't even say I knew that from the end of the first part of the trilogy. But I think especially once you get to part three, after the horrors that are endured in part two, it becomes painfully obvious where these films are headed. And the resolution at the end of the third film, at the end of A Soldier's Prayer, is, I I think for me, it is quite impactful. Uh, Knowing it was coming did not do anything to lessen the blow of watching it, to lessen the impact, the effect, the emotional response. It is uh, a trilogy that, while I probably am going to say ultimately this middle part is my favorite from this round of watches, and I'm sure I'll rewatch them at some point, probably back to back to back. But it, you know, it's 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 something. It, it's just like it's it's a it's what has to be. You know, you get these movies sometimes where I think um, I think about uh, Stranger Than Fiction a lot. Uh, and Emma, uh, Emma Thompson writing this book with Will Ferrell as the main character in her book, but also alive in real life. And he know, she writes at one point towards the end of the film uh, that uh, I forget the name of Will Ferrell's character, but that he doesn't realize that he's going to die tomorrow she writes this line he finds her and you know obviously he's alive and he doesn't want to die so you know there's that but she goes to her publisher editor whatever it's been a a long time and he reads what she's written and she tells or he, he they that person reads what she's written and tells her he has to die the book cannot end without him dying. And I believe she agrees. You know, when when you, you know, she has set up this situation, this character, this story, and the only rational, reasonable way to conclude it is to, for this character to die. And yet, at the end of the movie, she doesn't kill, it, kill him off, and it, the book becomes weaker for it. And it's such an interesting approach and and way of talking about something because, you know, you get to a movie like, you know, for example, like you can say the Lord of the Rings, like they survive, they win, you know, nine out of 10 of the main characters across the you know, nine out of 10 of the main characters survive and they win. And, you know, you look at that story and there's no way that story could have turned out differently. There's no other way you can end the, that, that story. And if you did, if somehow, you know, we go through all of this, we get to Return of the King, which I'm sure would have to be retitled. And somehow, you know, let's say uh, it ends with Frodo. He puts on the ring. He's in Mordor. Um, uh, you know, he's in Mount, Mount Doom. He puts on the ring. And instead of eventually uh, throwing Smeagol into the l- lava with the ring, it's just Smeagol that goes over and Frodo keeps the ring. He's still crazy. Sam can't do anything about it. Let's say he Sam, uh, Frodo kills Sam. I don't know. 
and Frodo becomes the bearer of the One Ring, and movie. You know? You can't end it that way. It, it just does not work. It, it cannot work. It makes no sense from a, from a narrative perspective. That cannot be the ending of this movie. And every time, you know, anytime a movie ends in a way that feels unearned, in a way that feels un, unwarranted, you feel it when you're watching that, when you're reading it, when you're, when you're hearing it. You, you know that that's not, that shouldn't be what happens. And I think, you know, I think what Kobayashi does with this story, and, you know, it is taken from a, 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 a novel published uh, just a couple of years prior to the filming of the movie, that it ends exactly as it needs to. Not the way that everybody wants it to, not the, you know, happiest or saddest you know, or most convenient way, but the way that it needs to. You know, this is the ending that the film, that the story needs, not, you know, it's the ending, not that the not the ending that it wants. And there are a lot of, I mean, there's there's hundreds and thousands of movies that do this the right way, that make this work, that do this well, and, and this is one of the best instances of it that I've seen. You know, this is a film that spends many, many, many minutes uh, of its, you know, not, you know, three-hour runtime to devoted to the ending, uh, to the inevitable conclusion that you know is coming, and it still takes us, you know, ten minutes to get there. But it earned it. It earned all of it with the nine hours that came beforehand. It earns every word, every, ma every you know, everything that, every frame on the screen. It's a trilogy that puts so much emphasis on Kaji's ideals and the way that he shifts his beliefs um, from one moment to the next and not not shifts as in you know it's changing he's morphing who he is and what he's about or anything like that no 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 but he is attributing them from in one from one situation to the next in a different different ways, uh, so you know he, he's he's a very humanistic person, and the world around him is a very brutal place. The reality of it is that you know it's this painful, imperial, totalitarian world uh, hierarchy. Whether it's the labor camp, whether it's um, you know, when he's in the military, whether it's when he's, you know, just trying to get back to his wife, and time and time and time again, he is confronted, he is faced with these situations, these circumstances, these dour, dour moments of depression, of 
devastation of, I know, you know, like I can do good and it doesn't matter. Or I have to do a bad thing. Otherwise, an even worse thing is going to happen. He is constantly challenged to, you know, test out a variety of, of world of, of, of thought problems that, you know, you, you can easily sit back and, you know, look at something like the trolley problem and say, yeah, I will change the course of this trolley to kill one person so that I avoid killing six others. It's, so, it's incredibly easy to say that in your head and to say that out loud when you're not actually doing it. But there's a moment in the second film where, <clears throat> where Kaji's pacifism is put to the ultimate test, where his life is threatened, his life is in danger, and the only way he can save himself is to end somebody else's life. And it is a very trying experience because sure uh you know this person the life that he's his own life does not deserve to be extinguished the lives of others of this other person beside him around him near him does not deserve to be extinguished the lives of you know the 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 thing whatever it is causing him to be put in this peril danger that person those people's lives do not deserve to be distinguished and yet somebody's will be one way or another and i think an under i think an undervalued aspect of the trolley problem is i think a lot of people approach it from 1 versus 6 and it's true. That's definitely a giant, large component of the question. But one aspect that I think I, at least for myself, I look at and, and value very highly is the action taken. And what I mean by that is if the trolley runs and kills the six people as opposed to the one, yes, it you know, you can blame yourself for their deaths, but from a practical perspective, you didn't, you know, whatever caused the trolley to, you know, lose its brakes or whatever the circumstances are that led you to the situation, you're not at fault for that. You know, your options are let it go And thereby blame are blame you, you know you are to blame for these deaths from an from a passive perspective or switch tracks kill this other person less death less people die uh, but now you are to blame for that one person's death from an active perspective and I think that active versus passive idea is is thoroughly explored in these films. You know, Kaji over and over again is confronted with, I can just let things happen. And, you know, it might be better for me in the long run. Uh, but it's also, you know, a situation where I can absolve myself in that sense. 
Whereas I can inject myself into this situation, I can interact with the players in this game, I can, I can create an alternative route for not just myself, but others. But now I am stepping in. You know, I'm, I'm, it's easy to convince yourself that you aren't involved as long as you're on the outside looking in. But as soon as you step in, it's, you know, you, that, that excuse goes out the window. You, you can't avoid saying, I'm part of this now. I, I cannot remove myself from this question. I cannot remove myself from the situation, from this issue. <coughs> Excuse me. And these movies hit so many moral quandaries from start to finish that it's very easy to get lost in the hypothetical. It's very easy to get lost in the, man, I don't know how I could have done that. Man, I don't, I don't, how is that possible? Man, I, I could never, I could never, I could never, I could never, you know, what would I do in that situation? That you kind of lose, you almost lose sight of this is real. Not, not just this is, you know, based on a novel, um, you know, but also the director, Masaki Kobayashi, was in the army during World War II. He has very, he has firsthand experience with maybe not situations exactly like those depicted in the film, but similar circumstances. And that these are just depressingly facts of war. These are elements of, of a system, of a brutal system that still exists today. Yeah, it's, you know, drones and, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, computers and, and so much more now than it was back in World War II. But underneath it all, it's the same shtick. It is the same crap. It is the same brutal ideas. It's the same people in charge. It's the same chain of command and, and, and painful cruelty that existed then maybe not to the same extent maybe not in the same ways maybe not you know caveat 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 it's still there and not everyone falls under that umbrella term that umbrella circumstance but it's something that is so so synonymous especially when you look at this movie these movies so synonymous in the way that people react and interact and you know under you know when when connected and and involved in in war you know we talk about veterans ptsd and all that kind of stuff and you know there's a reason for it because war is awful because it's terrible because it destroys people 
physically and mentally. I guess all of this is to say that the human condition, the trilogy, the human condition is, for me, the strongest anti-war cinematic statement uh, that I've seen. And I I think it, it portrays that negative portrays violence and war and all that negatively so powerfully so easily and through just a single character you know i think a lot of movies that try to push this message do it through a country a city a group of people or uh you know a nation and so forth and you know it's an easy way you know you get across the message quite quickly you know when you see a country ravaged by war when you see a a people just decimated by a bomb, by guns, by fire, by whatever the implement might be. And I love how in here, in in Human Condition, Kobayashi chooses to showcase this through a single character, through all all through Nakadai's Kaji, and. It it goes so it goes such a long way to localizing this issue, and it's easy to comprehend. Yeah, like oh yeah, war kills a lot of people. I get it. Uh, You know, no one really needs to be told that war kills people, but to see the internal psychological damage to a person, to feel that, to go through that, to to wade into those problems this way i i think it's it's an unparalleled depiction of those those consequences so the human condition uh parts one two and three uh, no greater love um road to eternity and a soldier's prayer great films uh one of the best trilogies that i've ever seen uh hands down um and uh you know certainly uh um worth looking into i realize it's long it's all in in japanese it's it's a it's a hill to climb it's a hill to climb but if you can find i don't know i would say watch the first part and and see what you think because it's not a i mean i guess you are going to get more of the same in parts two and three but it, there's going to be an evolution there's going to be an, an increasing mounting dramatic tension dramatic um importance to everything happening uh as far, when you move into parts two and three so yeah the human condition that is that is my as much as I can, as much as I can, spoiler for, uh, you know, spoiler free review of those films. Uh, but I mean, again, they came out, you know, about 50 years ago. So 60 years ago, geez, 60 years ago, 60 years ago, time, what a thing. So that's the human condition, all three parts. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can head over to iTunes, Stitcher, places where podcasts can be found. And more you can find all the other episodes on my website circleoffilm.com 
in addition to other things over there. You can find me, Twitter, at Circle of Film. Uh, you can email circleoffilm at gmail.com or find me on Letterboxd at Circle of Film. You can support the show, like it, rate it, review it, subscribe to it, uh, tell somebody about it, or just listen. That is the key element. But if you are so inclined, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash circleoffilm. Uh, where for as little as eight cents an episode, you can get early access to all episodes that are released early. Uh, and there are other options there as well. Thank you for listening. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.